Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Overcast, a better podcast app than whatever you're using right now, unless you're using Overcast. Get Overcast for free on the App Store. Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Garneau and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories Podcast. Once again this week, we're going back to 2015, which I kind of think was the apex of our show. I don't know. Um, For an episode recorded in the summer that was the first to feature one of the show's favorite sons, I am talking about Mr. Benjamin Rather, who is one of my best friends and an incredible storyteller and person. Uh, Why dig out this episode now? Well, because we're heading down to Ben's home territory of Southern Illinois this Friday for a special road show, and Ben is actually going to be hosting. Uh, This should be a super fun special episode, and you are welcome to go. Just message the Nerdalogs on Facebook and let us know you'd like information on the show in Ducoin, Illinois, and we will send you all the details. Uh, It's going to be a blast. Now, meanwhile, you can enjoy this terrific episode featuring not only Ben Rather, but a cadre of show favorites, some of whom were picked by the wonderful Mark Coulomb for his farewell episode. So there is lots to get into here. Uh, so enjoy that, and maybe we'll see you Friday in Southern Illinois. What's up, everybody? Hi, cool kids. Hi. Hey, cool there's friends. four of us on stage tonight, so uh, there's a lot of cool things happening tonight. We're saying goodbye to somebody. We're saying hello to somebody. Let's say hello to Jim Seneca. Yay, Jim! Officially, he's played with us a bunch, but we're making it official. We got him the ring last month, so this is a done deal. Uh, we're also, as I mentioned, we're saying goodbye tonight to Mr. Mark Coulomb. He is one of the biggest supporters of the podcast, and a huge friend of the group, and he is moving to Denver in 10 days. Ooh. And uh, I met him through your stories, and so this seemed like an appropriate way to say goodbye. So Mark brought a bunch of his friends to tell stories, and uh, the theme of the night is fans, as suggested by Mark. Um, so we'll see where that takes us. Claire, do you want to explain how we got to the music we're doing tonight? Yeah, uh, so Mark really likes movies. Uh, and that what that was your major, right? You're a film major. Uh, communications. 
Same thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll fudge it. Anyway, um, but Mark really likes movies. He does a lot of movie stuff. And so we started thinking about songs from movie soundtracks. And to take that up one more level, uh, we decided to just go with songs from Quentin Tarantino soundtracks, since often those are songs from other movie soundtracks, too. Um, and so, yeah, pre- uh, everything we're going to be singing is from a different uh, Quentin Tarantino movie. Well, some are from the same. Or, yeah, from only, various We Quentin only, in the end, pulled from, like, three Tarantino movies. So. But that's all you need. Really good three. Really good three. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Dwight and I are going to get off the stage for a second. Nice thing about having Jim around. He's better than us at <laughs> I was five and he was six We rode on horses made of sticks He wore black and I wore white He would always win the fight Bang, bang He shot me down Bang, bang I hit the ground, bang, bang That awful sound, bang, bang My baby shot me down Seasons came and changed the time When I grew up I called him mine He would always laugh and say Remember when we used to play Bang, bang I shot you down Bang, bang You hit the ground Bang, bang That awful sound Bang, bang I used to shoot you down Just for me the church bells rang Now he's gone, I don't know why Until this day sometimes I cry He didn't even say goodbye He didn't take the time to lie Bang, bang He shot me down, bang, bang I hit the ground, bang, bang That awful sound, bang, bang My baby shot me down Pardon me for being rude. Kevin, I'm going to text you something that I would like you to yell out from the booth to introduce this song, okay? Okay. All right. <laughs> Who's seen a Nerdalog sketch show before? All right. You, you guys might get this. Four people. Yep. Some of you will get this. Mostly this is a joke <laughs> to make me happy. As most jokes are. True. As most jokes are. So that song was from Kill Bill. What up? 
the movies that I just put volume one and two uh, on repeat in college, and that was just what I did in the background of my whole life. Yeah. For the entirety of my sophomore year of college. And this this song is... Uh... Hey! Hit the tape, Vinny! <laughs> one, two, three, four, one... storyteller here tonight. Like I said, some were invited by Mr. Mark Coulomb himself. The first speaker is actually his wife, confusingly also the co-host with Mark of a podcast called An Hour With Your Ex. Although, as we all know from Scott Ackerman, you, uh, your wife is also your ex-girlfriend, so that must be what they're talking about here. This is Mel Evans. Hi. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is my fan story. When we're young and we have nothing but time and disposable income, we often wander into dangerous obsessions. I found myself in such a situation after graduating from college, but before moving to Chicago. 
I was living at home, but I made a hefty wage. Most of my friends were either still in school or had moved away, and I only really had a couple of close friends. I did community theater, sure, but you only have so many rehearsals for the local production of a murder is announced every week. I was bored. I was vulnerable. I was easy prey for the most ram- rabid of fandoms. The Claymates. <laughs> Clay Aiken emerged as the breakout star of American Idol season two, despite coming in second place to Ruben Studdard. His popularity was capitalized upon by the producers. He was immediately thrust into a concert tour with a rushed first pop album, and then a Christmas album, and then an album of covers followed by an outdoor amphitheater tour. If you wanted Clay Aiken, there was about two years when you could get more than your fill. And I wanted my fill. (laughs) Not in a sex way, though. I had just been unceremoniously dumped after dating a frat boy through the entirety of college. And he dumped me after cheating on me with a girl named Sylvia. I needed someone who was a little less frat boyish. And Clay Aiken was certainly that. He was just my type, non-threatening and completely unobtainable. I really just wanted to hear him belt his hit single, Invisible, as often as possible. You remember Invisible. (laughs) If I was invisible, then I could just watch you in your room. I never considered myself a claymate because they were chubby old ladies. Your moms, who would be shrieking for him in homemade accessories, festooned with his likeness. I was cool. I was a chubby young lady and wore only licensed clay merchandise. I smoked cigarettes before and after his concerts. I wrote thoughtful reviews of his concerts for the message boards. I made collages. Obviously, I was cool. Painfully, painfully, painfully cool. I do not regret what Clay and I had. Oh, no. (laughs) I maintain to this day that his voice is excellent, his stage presence magnetic. I do regret how much money I've spent on him. You see, I have seen Clay Aiken 23 times in eight different states. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes, two of those times were Good Morning America concert series in Bryant Park, and one was a free filming for CBS This Morning, but that's still 20 times that I paid for the privilege to see Clay Aiken live. You're right, people doing lazy math at home. That's at least $1,000 that I've spent before Ticketmaster charges and fees. And that's just tickets. I'm not including the gas money or the train money or the money I spent on a train ticket to an Enterprise rent-a-car so I could drive up to see him in Michigan. To be fair, I had won a meet-and-greet that one. And the money I spent on a hotel when I found myself too tired to drive back afterwards. The point I'm making is, I was an adult when I did this. (laughs) I was old enough to rent a car. I obviously did not have a boyfriend, or many friends, or a hobby, 
but I had cash. And man, now that I look back on all my fond memories of driving and driving to watch a freshly made over closeted man swivel his hips as he sang cover songs, I wish I had saved some of that money instead. I moved to Chicago in April and spent my summer wasting my flush double income from unemployment and under-the-table wages on concerts, including the aforementioned meet-and-greet where I got to tentatively tell him I thought he was great. But by December, I had established myself. I was finding myself. I had made real-life friends. I had comedy classes to go to, and I was a little ashamed to have a Clay Aiken poster and a collage on my wall as a grown woman. But I still had a Christmas concert ticket, so I went, by myself, to the Chicago Theater. Now, Christmas is my favorite. Clay Aiken was still my favorite singer at the time. And I sat in this beautiful theater in my brand new hometown, listening to this gorgeous voice sing Christmas songs, a finer genre of music you will be hard-pressed to have me name. And I just appreciated the magic of it all. And then I got up and left and met my friends at a comedy show. I didn't look back, but I still love and appreciate Clay. He gave me strength. He gave me a mission. He got me through that weird transitional time when I was invisible. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. I was just going to bemoan the fact that we didn't have any Clay Aiken prepared, but man, we got Reader in the booth calling it uh, calling it hot up there. All right, guys. <laughs> Reader calling it hot. Coming next to the stage, host of the show below and friends of the, friend of the Nerdalogs, please put your hands together for Logan Dean. <laughs> What was that what intro? What does this get me? What is it? <laughs> Talk to me at, at intermission. And, uh, I don't know, I'll go buy you a big bite or something. Uh, so I'm a, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of a lot of stuff, uh, like LCD sound system and Firefly and, uh, I like things and I get really attached to them, but it all boils down to one fandom and that fandom is fucking Star Wars. In the mid-90s, growing up in suburban Michigan, uh, it was kind of the most exciting time to be a Star Wars fan because uh, they had those uh, jacked-up-looking action figures all over the place um, with the day-glow backgrounds where everybody was on steroids, except for Yoda, who was actually pretty good. uh, But they were all over the place, and those uh, uh, mis-scaled... uh, ships that they could go into where the Millennium Falcon was somehow the exact same size as an X-Wing fighter. Um, <laughs> but what was really exciting was they were re-releasing the films and they were putting new footage in them and we all know how that turned out. But uh, but it, as a, a an indoor kid, someone who didn't have a lot of friends, who watched In Search Of like every afternoon when he got home, uh, Star Wars was my escape. It was how I learned that I can be whatever I want to be, and I can do whatever I want to do. It's about knowing that your friends are going to have your back, and sometimes you won't be able to understand them, but they're going to be there. Uh, There's just something about Star Wars that carried on, and so the 90s became this period in time where Star Wars, in my opinion, hit its heyday, uh, until we finally saw the films that George Lucas was like hiding from us, 
and then we all kind of got disillusioned. But those films mean more to me than most people. Uh, because for a majority of my life, they were my best friends. <laughs> the first film I ever watched was uh, Empire Strikes Back on VHS uh, because my mom doesn't know how chronology works. And um, uh, I remember watching it over and over and over until the point where uh, Family Video called us and was like, where's our movie? Um, <laughs> So I had to go in and then re-rent it. And then they wouldn't let me rent it anymore because other people wanted to watch it. And for some reason, they only had one copy of Empire Strikes Back on VHS. Uh, but then I found out there were two other movies. Because <laughs> 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 in my mind, it was a standalone movie where uh, bad stuff happened. And that was just how it went. <laughs> <laughs> and Empire kind of encapsulates life. You start kind of unknowing. Well, at least the way I watched it. You started unknowing what happened before, and it's kind of ambiguous what's going to happen next, and your favorite characters just disappear, and, like, the whiny kid loses his hand, and it's like, whoa, fuck, okay, well, I guess that's life. Um, so then I found out there were two more, and I watched them religiously. Uh, and as a kid, your favorite, my favorite was Jedi, because it had the Muppets in it. And uh, it was they were the Muppets. It was like the Fozzie Bear was hanging out with Jabba the Hutt, and like uh, it was great. And they, they're whimsical, and the the little bears they were adorable. And now I realize that uh, Return of the Jedi is kind of like a not the best movie at all. It's kind of uh, slapped together ad hoc, and uh, Harrison Ford doesn't give a shit like the whole time. He's like better than this, and he also has no arc in that movie, which is really weird because he's the best character. Uh, I will fight you if you say <laughs> otherwise. Um, but yeah, Star Wars just made me realize that you didn't have to come from somewhere affluent or be a popular person or do sports, because I didn't do those. Um, <laughs> but you could find adventure and meaning in life just by accidentally finding a droid that you bought off some junk dealers or uh, meeting a murderer in a bar or following an old man. <laughs> on, my, uh, on my actual notes here, I'm going to wrap this up, but on my actual notes here, uh, I wrote some stuff and then I kind of gave up and just wrote um, Star Wars like 90 times <laughs> in my notebook. Uh so Star Wars, it, because I'm so passionate about Star Wars is why I'm so passionate about everything else, I guess. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Logan. Yeah, dude, I totally relate to that. Empire was the one I watched the most as a kid, too. I like that, that snow scene, like, with the walkers. But I, I don't know. I like Jedi. I like endings. It's a sweet ending. Except now it's not over. There's, like, three more films plus a bunch of spin-offs. It's crazy, guys. It's going to be great. Yeah, I like your enthusiasm. All right, guys. So uh, coming next to the stage, this gentleman was here a couple months ago, and I did not give him the best introduction, for which I apologize. So I'm going to give him a killer fucking introduction now, starting with this. So this gentleman and his uh, his guest for the night, Miss Cotton Campbell, have been nominated for two really prestigious awards. Uh, Cotton has been nominated for the Poetry Author of the Year, and uh, this gentleman is the Poet of the Year nominee for the National Poetry Awards. Uh, voting opens tomorrow, so if you want to vote for him, that'd be super sweet. We're going to put the link up on our page so you can do that. This is Mr. James Gordon.
I was a huge Anakin. Whoa. Uh-oh. No, it doesn't amplify. It doesn't. It's just, oh, okay, yeah. my bad. So I got to project. Yeah. <laughs> I got to use that old ghetto stuff. Like when we were standing outside in the projects and we'd be like, you know, I didn't go up in the projects. That's just some stereotypical shit. I figured. <laughs> I just figured y'all be able to say, oh, okay, yeah, he was there. I, I didn't. I grew up kind of affluent. But I saw good times, so I figured out. <laughs> hey, throw out some money. Mo-. That's shit. Okay. Too much? No? I'm black. I can get away with it. Okay. I want to thank, <laughs> y'all are great. I want to thank Eric and Nerdalogs. Uh, we spoke earlier. They're giving us their endorsement. Uh, I love and myself have been nominated for these awards. Uh, second year in a row for me, first time for her, and we greatly appreciate your support and everybody voting. Uh, it's good because everybody in our category is black, so a bunch of y'all vote, we should win pretty easily. Um, I figure if Obama could use the you know white vote, we could use it too on a smaller scale. So. Okay, let's let's get to the damn story. All these jokes. <clears throat> I cannot stand teams in the NFC North. The Minnesota Vikings, the Detroit Lions, but I abhor, detest, loathe that team north of us. Those rotten, disgusting cheeseheads called the Green Bay Packers. So you probably deducted, I am a huge fan of the Chicago Bears. I bleed blue and orange. Even when it seems like we're six and four or, or just the close to losing season, I still figured mathematically we can make the playoffs. <laughs> Somehow then on the last game of the season, and, and, and you know we're under 500, I said, no, 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 no. Somehow or another we'll make it still. All we have to do is win this game and everybody else lose. I am a fanatic fan, the whole extension. This was never more evident. September 12th, 2012, Thursday night game. It is us against those horrid Green Bay Packers. <laughs> the Green Bay Packers lost the first game of the season. They are 0-1. We won our first game. We are 1-0. and This is a chance to send them pummeling deep into the cellar, which we were going to do. We got Cutler, we got Marshall. Cutler's on fire at the one game. Man, he looks like a pro bowler. It's going to be great. But I forgot to mention why this Thursday is even more special. She is coming over for the first time. She is Delia. Delia bears a strong resemblance to Jaraji P. Henson. You'll know her. She plays Cookie on that great show called Empire. But she's got a little more mm and a lot more ah to her. A lot more ah to her. I like it like that. Anyways, she's coming over the first time. We've been dating a few weeks, and Delia is the consummate woman for a dude like me. Delia likes Batman like I do. Delia likes beer and she likes to eat. Not the salads and like, oh, I'm watching my weight. And not too much where she's picking off my plate. But right in the middle, she'll get a big burger, fries, you know what I mean? That sort of thing. And she loves beer. 
except she doesn't drink regular beer. She drinks something called Schleisenhauser's, Kleisenhauser's, some shit like that. I'm black. I, I figure I don't know, but I go to the store. I go up to the bartender and say that, and they immediately know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, I got you, buddy. Here, here you go. And she likes beer cold, not just cold, but when you pop off the top, it needs to go, So for this night, I asked her, hey, come on over. Bears games are a big thing in my family. We are Bears family. Uncles, aunts, cousins, bears, everything else just sucks. Bears, blue and orange, orange and blue, we're all in it. Like, it's a thing. No lie, especially when you play those bastards from Green Bay. So... I asked her to come on over. She's tentative because, you know, it's the first time she's going to meet the family. I said, no, it's cool. I've been telling them about you. You need to meet them. It's a social gathering. It's not that big a thing. Come on. They'll see your fan. And she says, hey, I want to ask a favor. I said, sure. What do you want? I said, she says, I want to wear team colors to the game that night, to, to, to your house. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm blown away. I orgasm because it's, it's, she wants to wear a team. Wait a minute, this woman is beautiful. She has a great career. She's a lawyer, right? She likes beer and she wants to wear team colors. Awesome. Can you say hashtag winning right now? So I'm like, I'm like, yes. And kiss. And so we look forward to it. The week goes and Thursday comes. So now I've gotten some of her favorite beers. She likes red stripes. She's like that slicing houses stuff. And she likes daisy cutter. I had never heard of it at the time, but now as you know, it's kind of prevalent here in Chi-Town. So I got some of that and I put it in a, uh, uh, her own cooler and I kept changing the ice. Just to keep it cold. You do that for your lady when you want to make sure everything's all right. And she looks like that. You just keep changing the ice. And I put a plate aside of food because it was all types of chicken. We black. We had to have chicken. So we do. So we had chicken. We had all types. We made a, I made a big-ass plate for her, put it in the microwave. Game started. Bears are down 7 nothing. No big deal. Cutler's getting warmed up or what have you. The bell rings. She texts Says, hey, I'm outside. Oh, I got to run back to the car to get something. Let me in. I'm like, hey, everybody, Delia's here. Get ready. Everybody, there's this hubbub of excitement. They're waiting to see this wonderful woman I've been describing. I said, man, she's getting ready to come. The bears are driving just at that moment, right? She comes to the door. I open up. I'm like, hey. And there is Delia. Beautiful. With the mmm and the ah. Dressed from head to toe in green and gold, Packers colors, Aaron Rodgers jersey, number 12. Authentic, I give her credit for that. The two big ass fingers that said Packers number one. And she's like, hey, just smiling like everything's just fucking awesome. And she says, hey, you going to let me in? Because it started raining, got a little cool outside. So I said, yeah, come on in. And everybody's looking towards the door, and they're cheering. And all of a sudden, Cutler, unexplicably, inexplicably, excuse me, throws an interception like he does that not often, right? <laughs> Motherfucker. Okay, sorry. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, so he throws the interception. Diddy comes in. Hi, everybody. Everybody's like, hey. Just like you are now. Dead. Silence. My cousin, with his ghetto ass, says, what the fuck is she wearing? 
I said, dude, he says, dude, doesn't she know this is a bear's house? This is bear's. And she just sits down, Delia, says, do you have a beer for me? Grab her a beer, grab her food. The Packers go all and run away with the game. And the only person cheering throughout the entire time is Delia. Yeah, 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 yeah. And slowly but surely throughout the rest of the evening, three at a time, two at a time, my house dissipates of family members. So it's just Delia and I. And she turns to me at the end of the game and says, wow, that Rogers is something else, isn't he? I said, yeah, he's something else, all right? So that was a great game, wasn't it? I said, you know, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. Did you get that all of us are Bears fans? You never said you were Packers fans. She says, matter of factly, you never asked me. And I thought to myself, no, I didn't. I just assumed that because I said I'm a Bears fan and we got along and you were a Bears fan too. I just, this is the thought I had in my head. Well, I actually said it out loud. And she says, oh, that was kind of dumb. I said, you know what? Maybe you need to leave. No. No, yeah, I told her. No, actually, I told her she needed to get the fuck out. But that was, I just wanted to make it seem like I was a gentleman right now. But that would have been a lie. She says, she says to me, what? I said, no, really, you need to get the fuck out because my mom's kind of upset about the whole thing. It can't happen. So I walk out to the car. She says, well, I see you. I said, yeah. We saw each other a few more times. We went to the next game. She said, the next thing was at her place, and everybody was Packers fan. I'm the only Bears fan. That shit was horrible. We were getting blown out. I left at halftime. And the thing with Delia didn't work out simply because I like beautiful women. I appreciate them. But you know... I just happen to love my bears a little bit more. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, James. That was great. Guys, I want you all to take James' message to heart from his preamble, The White Vote Matters. <laughs> so... I mentioned at the top of the show that I'm a big fan of Mark Coulomb, and I feel like his comedy endorsement uh, means a lot. And so these these folks that he invited here, uh, super great. We're really happy to have them. Coming next, one of those fine people, Jameson Webb. Hi, sorry. I just realized I only put deodorant on under one arm today, so... <laughs> I was feeling very wet over here, and I was like, so if you're listening, imagine that the right side of my body is very gross. Um, <laughs> uh, is anyone here a fan of Weezer? Yeah. Cool. If you're not, you might want to, like, leave for about five minutes. Um, so, so Weezer, yeah. Uh, Weezer was the first band that I, I loved. Like, loved, loved, loved. Um I, I, I grew up in a in a house where my folks would just listen to whatever was on the radio, which pretty much in the early '90s meant like John Cicada and you know uh, Stevie Winwood, you know whatever was like you know Phil Collins Genesis, which is all fine, but uh, yeah, and, and uh, you know people th- think they took a, a dip after Gabriel left, but you know, um, <laughs> but uh, I first, but I came to Weezer late in the game. I, I first heard them in 1999 uh, when I, I saw them on. That iconic cable network that plays music videos and shapes the cultural lexicon since the 80s, VH1. Um, <laughs> it was on Papa Video, and the song was Buddy Holly, and it was that great Spike Jones-directed video. And I, and I watched the video, and just everything about it, the fact that it was like retro happy days, um, you know, the, the, the pop melody, the, the rock crunch, 
the, you know, I can't think of another word, but you know what I mean, power chords and whatnot. Um, you know, the harmonies were kind of goofy, but also pretty in a weird way, and, and there was such an underdog sent to, uh, sentiment to the lyrics. I was like, this, this is my band. This is the band that I have been waiting to hear. You know, I'd gone through some Matchbox 20s, and, uh, and, I, and, and I was like, yeah, finally I got, I got here. Um, and it was a weird time to be a Weezer fan, the, the late 90s, uh, because they hadn't released an album since 1996, Pinkerton. They were kind of in a hiatus while their lead singer, Rivers, was off at Harvard and kind of doing his thing. And, it, and I don't know if you remember Pinkerton, but when it came out in 96, it was a, a critical and commercial failure. Uh, Rolling Stone magazine named it the worst album of 1996. Uh, and upon hearing it, uh, Pope John Paul II declared that God is dead. It really, <laughs> it really took a lashing. Uh, so, you know, I had all this enthusiasm for this band. I went out and I got the Blue Album, their first album. And, and of course, you know, I listened to it and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's like four songs that are better than Buddy Holly on this. Like, how is that possible? You know, I mean, that song was like the greatest thing I've ever heard. And then, you, you know, I, I bought Pinkerton and at first, you know, like, I didn't really get it, but then one day, like, I got it, you know, and I was like, yeah, like, okay. Uh, but, you know, th so there I was, you know, loving this band, but there wasn't more music to get. They weren't touring. It was just kind of a, a weird um, vacuum. I don't know if I'm using that <laughs> that term right. Um, but uh, in 2001, all of a sudden, they were going to make a comeback. Uh, they had a new bassist, and they were touring on the, the Yahoo Outlook tour. Uh, and uh, and they had a new album coming out, the Green Album. Uh, or it was just Weezer, but it, it had a green cover, so it was called the Green Album. And it came out, and I, I went and got it. I was so excited. Like It was the first album release I looked forward to, and I went to Best Buy, and I bought it and opened it, and I'm reading, you know, I'm looking through it. The liner notes were not much. It was very simple, but it was so exciting. And people, um, I want to talk about it with people. And so... Uh, this is like the early days of the internet in the sense that like, you know, this is like internet 1.5 maybe, right? Where it's like, people are still using AOL CDs, but we're also like, and we don't have YouTube, we're watching QuickTime videos that we're like downloading off of like, you know, early versions of FTP sites. So I went to Weezer.com, uh, their, their website, if, if, the name didn't give it away. Um, and I signed up for their, their message boards. I registered. My, my name is Jameson, and I was born on December 21st, so I chose the name Jamson21 because I was told that you shouldn't have your real name in your internet name, so I thought if I took the eye out, it would you know protect me from murderers. Um, and it did, because here I am. Um, so... So now, like most teenagers, I, I was very vulnerable and awkward, but kind of adding on to this, I, I was a year younger than all of my classmates. I, I skipped kindergarten. Uh, I was just like at a, uh, I was a genius. Uh, and by that, I just, like, I, I, during nap time, I would say to the teacher, instead of taking a nap, can I go read? And she'd be like, yeah. And so after three weeks, they were like, he sh shouldn't be here. Um, so I was a year younger than everyone, which meant that when I got to high school and everyone started driving, I was not driving yet, right? And I lived on the opposite side of town from everyone else, so it was a little inconvenient to come pick me up. And, of course, you're in high school. You don't want your parents dropping you off, right? So I just decided I wasn't going to go out. I was just going to stay at home on Friday nights. And you know who else stays at home on Friday nights? People who use the Weezer.com message boards. 
So I would just stay in all night, and uh, I, I tried to go back. I did not realize this until somewhat recently, but I guess when they switched over their site at some point, they deleted all of the message boards, which is too bad. I don't have an actual paper archive, and, and or not paper, but any kind of archive. Um, but I do remember things that I, I wrote on these message boards, and I'd like to share just a few. Uh, and feel free to, like, sub in your own fandom with Weezer. Let Weezer be kind of a catch-all, uh, if you will. But these are things that I remember actually writing. And um, So here we go. Uh, hey, I heard a rumor that former bassist Matt Sharp is going to rejoin the band as the keyboard player. It's pretty cool how music has the power to heal old wounds. Yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody. Isn't Weezer kind of like the modern-day Beatles, except Rivers Cuomo is both Lennon and McCartney rolled into one? <laughs> hey, I'd love to see the band try more acoustic stuff on the next album. You know, like an Exile on Main Street-type trip through American blues and roots music, but with the Weezer twist. <laughs> Everybody, Pat, that's Weezer's drummer, Pat Wilson. Hey, everybody, Pat has his own band where he's the lead singer. Why doesn't he sing background vocals on Weezer albums? By the way, I did get an answer to this because I found his email address, and I emailed him and asked him, and he just he wrote back, I don't know, maybe I will someday. And he did. Uh, something else. Uh, hey, if you rearrange the letters in my name, Jameson, J-A-M-I-S-O-N, you get I'm Jonas or my name is Jonas. Pretty cool, huh? <laughs> uh, I know we call it the Green. Sorry, uh, oh, I'm reading off of this. I hope that's okay. Um, I know we call it the Green Album because the cover is green, but I just realized that the color green is also associated with springtime, the season of rebirth and rejuvenation. And the Green Album is kind of the rebirth and rejuvenation of Weezer. <laughs> Don't you all think Pinkerton could easily translate into a movie? I have an idea. It's about a rock star who's tired of sex. He tries to get with different, uh, in different committed relationships. Get you, but it doesn't work. No other one. So he finally says, why bother? He's just going to be a recluse. Then one day he receives a letter from across the sea from a young Japanese girl who's a fan of his music. He decides he's going to start living the good life and track her down. He travels to Japan to do a concert where he invites her and performs El Scorcho with the lyric, I'm a lot like you, I think you'd be good for me, blah, blah, blah. Turns out she's a lesbian, Pink Triangle. That one's pretty clear in the album. <laughs> he decides to lay it all on the line and tell her that he loves her and you know he's hoping that you know he can have a place for her, falling for you, but she rejects him. And so he gets tra sad and travels home and ends up in a uh, dive bar singing the song Butterfly. The end. <laughs> I'll, I'll wrap this up. I just have a few more. Uh, when Weezer was working on its fourth album, it became Maladroit, I wrote this bizarre fan fiction story where the albums were living, breathing creatures and, and blue and Pinkerton and green eagerly awaited the arrival of their new brother. <laughs> One of the message board members said they loved it, loved it so much that they printed it out and taped it in their high school locker to look at every day. <laughs> but the point where my fandom became too much and I realized I needed to pull back was when I decided that I wanted to have some fun with the message boards and also to kind of play God a little bit with Weezer. So what I did was I wrote a fake mtvnews.com article, but I said I copied and pasted it from the site, and then I just put the whole body into it. 
uh, into the, the thread. And uh, and I treat it like, and uh, it was about Weezer collaborating with Axl Rose on a new song. Oh. Now, Weezer had been, yeah. <laughs> what would he be doing with those nerds? Um, no, so, uh, so Weezer had been like releasing their demos so people knew the songs they were working on. And Weezer and Axl, and Guns N' Roses, the recently reformed Guns N' Roses, had played the same festival in Japan. There was a lot, there was enough real information where it felt like I could get away with this. So I remember the first line of this article that I wrote, and this, uh, foreshadowed my my major as a, a journalism major. Uh, Sweaters and spectacles meets Guns and Roses. That's the rumor out of Japan, where Rivers Cuomo and Weezer are exploring a collaboration with reclusive rock star Axl Rose on a song called Mo Beats. So it was a stupid hoax. It was a dumb hoax, but uh, people posted there like that's unbelievable. And I was like, yeah. And then at the bottom I wrote, yeah, it was just a joke. Hope you all enjoyed it. So then, like three months later, someone posted, "Hey, I heard this thing about Weezer and Guns N' Roses." I'm like, "Oh, they're you know whatever." But some radio, or excuse me, some website, like a somewhat blabbermouth.net, it was like this like punk site or something. Anyway, um, they had uh, presented my article as their scoop that they had gotten from MTV News, and and I was like, "No, no, no this is fake. This isn't real." And then, you know, but no one listened. And then, like, a month later, someone was like, hey, in Australia, I just heard in a radio station that Weezer and Guns N' Roses are working on this album. And so, you know, and I'm like, again, yeah, this isn't real. And then for about maybe, like, for a year, like, every – or maybe not quite a year, but for every two months, like, people would be like, hey, uh, we heard from this newsletter or from this, uh, from this radio station in New York or this blog that they were collaborating – and then it finally came to a head at the 2002 MTV VMAs, where on the MTV boards there was a rumor that uh, this huge, exciting collaboration was going to happen. Now, um, I think what it ended up being was the battle of the bands between the Hives and the Vines to see who would be Garage Rock Kings. But um, and if you've seen the performance, the Hives won. But uh, but people thought that Weezer was going to collaborate with Guns N' Roses, and the Muppets were going to be there because Weezer had just done the Keep Fishing video. And they were, you know, quoting and sourcing my, you know, article as the reason. And I actually believed for about three days that I had willed it the secret style and that by me making this fake article, it had gotten the two camps talking and they were like, you know, it's kind of a good idea. Maybe we should collaborate. And I was very proud of myself and I couldn't wait. I was telling people at school, like, you might want to watch MTV tonight. I think you're going to see something. Not the case, obviously. Guns N' Roses perform, not Weezer. And that was the point where I said, you know, this is maybe too much. And uh, at the same time, Weezer started making bad music, so it really helped me kind of distance myself from them <laughs> a little bit. Uh, and, and I wish those boards were still around because it was such a snapshot into a very specific time in my life and a, a specific style of Internet that you don't really have anymore because we have Facebook and Twitter and these other ways of communicating. There's still message boards, but not the same way. And I was ready to just be done with Weezer entirely but then their album came out last year everything will be all right in the end is the title of it and i was like yeah yeah everything will be all right in the end um and there was a bunch i loved about it so uh so i was like all right i'm gonna do this once so i went uh on uh this other weezer fan site and a bunch of the people were still there all these years later it was like walking into like a high school with your teachers and so i spent a day just like commenting and all that stuff and it was really nice so it turns out like the Bon Jovi song goes, you can go home again. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Jameson. Oh, no, our lyrics. So you do not have a copy of the story where the albums are people and they meet their new brother? No, I don't. I mean, oh. I can, like, 
probably put together pretty well. Man, we have a fan fiction. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah. Every yeah, February yeah. we do fan fiction February. That'd be amazing. Yeah, I can talk to the girl who put it in her locker. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I gotta tell you, Red Album is where I fell off a of Weezer. That was the second worst CD I ever spent money on. The first was St. Anger. Oh, we should yeah. talk. Oh, yeah. St. Anger. Jim was in a... Jim, yeah. you guys... So Jim was in the country's premier Metallica cover band. Jim, you never played anything from St. Anger, right? Never, not once. Not one. Yeah. <laughs> Give it up for Julian. In seven years. <laughs> well deserved. All right, guys, we have two more stories this half. Then we're going to take a short break. Coming up next to the stage, the creator of Seanimals, Sean Smith. Hello, everyone. Hello. Um, so I'm going to raise this. I did that. Thought for sure it would crash down and I would make an ass of myself. <laughs> so um, my story isn't terribly funny, um, but um, I will try my best to make it a bit humorous in spots. Um, so, uh, how many people here have pets? Awesome. Okay, good, good. So, um, I, I, obviously, anyone who own, owns a pet uh, is is a fan of their pet, and and my dog is Remy. Uh, some of you. No, Remy. Some of you have met Remy. And in fact, some of you know this story or bits and pieces of it. Uh, but I wanted to talk about it today because it's really about a different kind of fandom. So, uh, Remy, she is a shepherd mix, probably a Dutch shepherd. She's 60 pounds. My wife and I adopted her from Paws, Chicago. She's a rescue dog. She was about two, maybe a little over when we got her. Um, and she's awesome, but she was also a handful and worked really, really hard through obedience training and agility training to kind of get her to the kind of dog we really wanted to have at home. Um, so that was in 2009 when we got her, and she's great. Uh, in 2012, March 6th, 2012, in fact, uh, around 9.15 in the morning, I was walking Remy in Logan Square. How many people know Logan Square here in Chicago? It's an idyllic uh, neighborhood full of um, men who look... Like me, actually. Um, uh, so uh, I was walking Remy along Logan Boulevard right near Francisco, um, which is a very high-traffic area, during the week. And I come across this um, older couple um, fending off um, a dog who was trying to, I think, um, attack their dog. And I didn't really know exactly what was going on. And then as it became clear, I thought, oh, shit. Oh, darn. Um, that dog is trying to attack either them or their dog. So I, I, I'm there with Remy, and I get my phone out, and, and, and I call the police, and I'm standing there, and I'm like, uh, this is happening. Like, please send someone. I don't know what to do. And no sooner did I do that than another dog came uh, running up and, uh, and attacking the dog. And then all of a sudden, as I'm hanging up with the police, I see the dog turned to me and Remy and comes running at us. And then the other dog does the same. Now, I am not a breedist, but they are pit bulls. So I was particularly f afraid, mainly because they are strong animals, and my dog is a big dog who will likely defend herself, and that is not a good thing. So this happens, and they attack Remy, and very badly. I won't go into the details of that, but I will say that when it was all said and done, we had bills, and I wrote this down, my cheat sheet, of somewhere around $18,000. Wow. 
skin grafts and and all sorts of surgeries. And granted, this wasn't one bill. It's like, oh, there you go. There's eighteen thousand. Right. We don't know what we did in there, but it was really complicated. It was like incremental, right? We took her in. She had a bunch of wounds. It was a thousand dollars, and then it was a follow up for five hundred. It was like, oh, actually, this is pretty bad. And then it was three thousand, and so on, all the way up. Mind you, I also tore a ligament in my thumb, so that was a whole other thing. Um, but the point is not really about that. The point is what happened after that. Um, because my wife and I, we run a small design company, and and we have all sorts of other uh, art and design projects, but we are not wealthy people. We certainly can't afford something like this. And friends knew about it, and friends knew um, not just about what happened, but they you know, know and love Remy, so she has a lot of fans there. But then something else happened in the community. And uh, the Logan Square dog, dog Park, which is now finally being built, but for a long time was just a, a, a dream, and a small group of people were trying to get this thing together. Um, they, they learned about it, and they wanted to help out. We had other people in the neighborhood who were like, let us know how we can help. They brought food over. Um, it was really an amazing time. And then all of a sudden our friend said, hey, why don't we put up this little donation page so you can at least offset some of the, the cost of, of all this? And, and we didn't argue with them. Uh, when it was all said and done, uh, between that donation page and uh, a, a soup dinner that another two of our other friends organized at Quencher's uh, Tavern, uh, we ended up raising uh, just over $14,000 um, to help us basically save Remy's life. And, and, and really, I mean, this is, this is sort of not just people in Chicago anymore, obviously. That's, that's a lot of money. Um, but, but what, what it made us realize is that the fans of Remy, you know, there's that, there's that point where fans become community, right? Fans become friends. Um, and, and that was the really, that, that was the, the most important thing that happened through this. And, and in fact, just two weeks ago, I was at a gallery, um, in, in Logan Square, California in Logan. And uh, some people were in there, and we were talking, and somehow got on the subject of dogs. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, wait, that, like, Remy? Like, that Remy? And they had donated um, some money back in the day. And they still live in the neighborhood, and they have dogs. And I never met them before, years, years later. And, and, and I think when the, the, the gift that, that, that Remy received from her fans was truly her life. She's alive today. She's, she's our best friend with our son, Brody. Um, and, 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 I, and I can't thank all of those people enough for for that gift simply by being fans. So thank you. Thank you so much, Sean. That was great. A lot of you don't know this, but at the Adler show we did on Thursday, we had a very sad story about a dog. So I'm glad that this was like a more uplifting story about our furry friends because, man, that one was real sad. It was great, but... Boy, uh, that'll, that'll be out in, in late August for y'all to listen to. I think that was the first time I ever actually cried at a Your Stories. Uh, yeah, I know, gravity. Um, so we have one story left, and then we're going to take a short break. Uh, it is my great pleasure to introduce this man. He is one of my best friends. And, guys, I've been trying to get him to come do this show for at least three years. In fact, in June 2012, we planned a show around him, and then he couldn't come because, like, his kid was born or something. I don't <laughs> Jesus Christ, right? Fathers. Anyway, Ben Rather. Try not to mix in your precious lyrics with my nonsense thoughts. Uh, so, guys, 
thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight. I, I, I've listened to every episode of the podcast. I've traveled 300 miles to be here tonight, and I want to go on record saying I am the biggest fan of your stories. I, I want to make that clear. Every morning I wake up at 5 o'clock to do my notes, to put around the garage, work in the wood shop, and I've got the headphones on, and I've got whatever I'm listening to, and your stories is always top of the list if it's there. So, Anyway, um, I've had the, I, you know, with this, I've, I've learned about some people, uh, more people I've only met in passing, uh, and I've learned a lot more about them. Uh, Andrew Bentley comes to mind. He's my oratory hero. <laughs> I'll pass it out there. That man is amazing. So, Anyway. I've been torn as to what I should write about and, and what I should tell you about tonight. Um, I, I don't want to go over my time, but at the same time, I do want to tell you something worth telling you about. And it's kind of the story about how I came to be here. My, my life up to this point, summarized more or less. And guys, how I got here was Elton John. <laughs> of all the things that make me up and define me, I am perhaps most of all a country boy. Uh, in no particular order after that, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a nerd, I'm a music fanatic, I am a brewery enthusiast, uh, but uh, the country is a part of me and I'm a part of the country. Please excuse my tropes. Let me tell you where I'm from. The towns of Ava and Campbell Hill are sister towns next to each other. It's in the southwestern corner of Illinois among rolling hills, cow pastures, creeks, and woodlands. The Mississippi River is about 15 minutes away. There were 83 people in my graduating class. Uh, we would go to church on Sundays. We'd spend early summers baling hay and late summers cutting brush and trying not to die from overheating. In the winter, we'd cut and split a lot of firewood, so much firewood. I did not have a summer job, job or after-school job other than being at my dad's beck and call for any of the millions of things that we would have to do on the farm. Fixing fence, it could be anything. We went deer hunting in the fall. We drove the dark back roads of the mystical hills that surrounded our small towns night after night, listening to the music that we had and not even knowing what the dreams of our future should be at that point. My taste in music comes directly from my mother. She would take me with her on her floral runs when she worked as a florist or on the 30-minute uh, trip to the grocery store. I was strapped in as a small child. Led Zeppelin and Tom Petty were there. Ario Speedwagon was there. There is no point in my life that I remember that I do not know the works of Supertramp. <laughs> I remember one night coming home from one of my sister's ball games and I heard on the radio for the very first time Carnival 9 uh, you know, welcome back my friends to the show that never ends and my head was just like this is, this is great you know, I'm, I'm little at this point and my mom who was singing along at the time uh, my mom's always she's always a little cooler than she thinks she is she's, she's really humble in this but anyway, taste of music, it's awesome she pointed out, she said you know Ben I've got this at home what? So we went home that night in the pie safe over the false graph. She pulls out brain salad surgery, and buddy, we listened to it on the turntable, and it was great. <laughs> My mother owns this music. My head explodes. I listened to all of those records in the years that follow. Goat's Head Soup by The Stones, Let It Be by The Beatles, Flat as a Pancake by Head East. Those are a few that I remember trying to wrap my junior high head around. Um, honestly, I listened to a lot of Bill Cosby comedy albums because she had those too. But right around that time was when I discovered someone else among the shelves there, and that was Elton John. There was something about how he sang, how what he was singing about completely captured me. I bought his greatest hits, Volume 2, as one of the first CDs I ever purchased, because it had Levon on it. And let me tell you, as a, as a boy who feels awkward and lonely, that song, mm, it gets you deep. When that CD player was playing for the very first time, it was on my parents' computer, 
I heard Tiny Dancer for the first time. It was over. <laughs> I sang a lot growing up, as my dad will attest. One of the reasons I did and still enjoy going to church is it gives me a chance to sing with other people. But for me, growing up, I sang whenever and wherever I could. The lawnmower and the tractor were common venues. Uh, I remember more than once my dad telling me to stop singing like that because I couldn't be paying any attention at all to what I was doing. On his end, I wonder what it was like seeing his 14-year-old son singing Crocodile Rock as loud as he could while hauling hay bales on the tractor. Anyway, I don't care. Music sustained me. It got me through those long, hot days, the mowing the cemetery and everything in between. I made a lot of good friends when I went to U of I. The best ones were probably through my improv group, Spicy Clamato. It was a strange and it was strange and affirming to be more open about myself on the stage, but frankly, most of the time, I was so reserved with my upbringing that I wasn't able to really put myself out there as much as I wanted to. Uh, that said, um, I remember one of the first times I talked to Eric after one of our shows, that Eric, um, he came to almost all of them as one of our biggest fans. Fans? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> get talking about stuff we were interested in. My best friends at that point were probably Jeremy, A, uh, Eric, Craig, John. We would sit around wasting afternoons talking about Deep Space Nine and Final Fantasy and everything in between. And God, it's good to have friends that get you, you know? Like, I hadn't really had that on such a level at that point. But anyway, back to Eric. It didn't take us too long to talk about music to, for us to both realize that we both got it on a level that not a lot of other people did, or at least you know, we in our small minds you know, were so intense about and specifically, he liked Elton John. Oh, he liked Elton John. <laughs> Flash forward again, I've ticked off many Elton John albums off my uh, record. I've, I've got Made in England, uh, Big Picture, Mad Men Across the Water, especially Songs from the West Coast, and about ten others. Uh, Captain Fantastic and the Dirt Brown Cowboy has helped me through a terrible breakup. I've lost people. I've found people. I'm working in a clinic on some random, random Tuesday afternoon in the summer. I get a call from Eric, and I hadn't heard from him in a couple of weeks. Uh, so... He uh, reminds me that once I asked him to take me along if he should ever go see Elton John in concert. He is. Now I am. With Billy Joel at Wrigley Field. My head explodes. <laughs> that moment in the, and the ensuing concert touched me because while I'm sure that asking me along was something I would have asked Eric to do, I honestly don't remember asking him to do that. And he did. And I got to go with him. I went to undergrad in Champaign, med school in Rockford, residency in Peoria. My wife, is, Nikki, is from Springfield, and I'm from Carbondale. I like to tell people that I lived everywhere in Illinois except for Chicago, which doesn't really count because I spent a lot of time up here because some of my best friends live here. Um, my three years in residency in Peoria were filled with trials and tribulations that would probably make for several good stories on their own. Uh, it was exactly like Scrubs. <laughs> <laughs> except that, you know, the, the, the soundtrack was a little bit off every week, but anyway. Um, Ser seriously, though, the long nights, the C-sections at 2 in the morning, learning there are people I'd be able to count on and people I would not be able to count on, filling my attending's office with live chickens, uh, letting, <laughs> uh, letting a patient die after having their ninth and final code finally, that was, that was a long ordeal, um, and slowly figuring out what kind of a doctor I was going to be. It's all wrapped up there. My feelings about Peoria are all over the map, and I, I couldn't trade them. Um, while I was there, I finalized my contract to come back home and work as a rural doctor, a rural doctor as I had always wanted to be. 
when the final weeks and days were closing in on my last three years, my, my final time there, uh, me and all my friends were standing around the conference room after our very last noon conference realizing that this was it. It was a Friday. We didn't have any more Mondays to come back to. It was just us. How do we say goodbye? You know, it, it comes out. You know, you get the hugs, you get you get the tears and all that. And, and I, I said my, my last goodbyes. I grabbed my stuff. I got in the car, and I was ready to go home, the long three-hour drive back to Southern Illinois. I had my, my 164th mix CD, volume 164, and I popped it in, and the very first track was Honky Cat by Elton John. When I look back, boy, I must have been green. Bopping in the country, fishing in a stream, looking for an answer and trying to find a sign. Until I saw your city lights, honey, I was blind, and I just cried. <sighs> Years ago, I'm going to wrap this up, sorry. Uh, I bought uh, Elton John's second album, Tumbleweed Connection, and I listened to it while going to visit some people. It is an incredible album, guys, and if you don't yet believe me that Elton John's worth listening to, please listen to Tumbleweed Connection because it holds up. It's amazing. Well, I was driving across a bridge when the song Love Song came on, and I was suddenly transported. The song honestly sounds like you're falling asleep on the beach. It's got the waves in the background. It's got gentle lyrics on top of, like, plucked guitars. And I was transported. Suddenly, I was back listening to my mother's records and her copy of Tumbleweed Connection. I was nine years old again. And I was just stunned and amazed that while I did not remember the song, I had it here. Uh, anyway... I have a daughter on the way, my son is three, my wife Nikki is beautiful and sticks with me through everything that I do. Life is amazing. I will keep listening to you at five in the morning in the wood shop, and I look forward to it. Thank you so much, guys. I thought, I thought you'd set this up. Ben asked me to play a, a song with him. I get. I bet you'll never guess what artist this song is by. Slayer! Uh, Slayer. I'm going to tell you this, Ben, I don't know if you know this. So I, the times in my life that I've gotten the most into some pop culture thing have been after something traumatic happens, you know, like breakup bands. Like the New Pornographers was a big breakup band for me. Like a girl broke my heart. I'm like, shit, I need something to get into. Oh, the New Pornographers is fun and doesn't remind me of her. Great. Um, Elton John was the first musician that I loved as well. And this was in eighth grade. Uh, my mother had just had an aneurysm and fell into a coma and she would never wake up. And I was obviously very depressed. And uh, what really got me through it was Elton John. So that's something else that we have in common. Holy shit. I feel like we should have played Someone Save My Life tonight, but you know what? We uh, This is better. Yeah, this yeah. is better. Uh, also, small preamble. So if you had to ask me what is the best year for music, hands down it's 1975. There's no competition. 91 is maybe close, but it's easily 75. All right? Born to Run. Welcome to my nightmare. Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt right. Cowboy. Right. If I was stranded on a desert island, I, would, I could probably survive off those three records alone. So this is... Uh, a song from one of them. <laughs> Captain Fantastic Raising regimented, hardly a hero. Just someone his mother might know. 
Thanks, guys. Your Stories is a proud member of the Chicago Podcast Co-op. If you like this show, you should also try an hour with your ex. Comedians Mel Evans and Mark Coulomb force each other to watch their favorite movies and TV. The title started as a joke but led to a marriage. But it's still just a podcast. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.